0: Welcome to the Bible is Lit podcast, where we explore the Bible as a work of literature. We dig into themes, patterns, motifs, archetypes, and all kinds of crazy literary criticism and interpretation. We also tackle controversial topics from the Bible and riff on listener-generated questions and topics, ultimately looking for that question of what it means to be fully human. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're tuned in to The Bible Is Lit Podcast. We're back with another episode. This will complete our unit of destruction and rebirth or decreation and recreation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this week, we are looking at Job. So we see a very literal destruction of a single individual's life in his household. And then we see the rebirth of or the renewal of that person's individual life so you know we've kind of tracked this whole thing of you know the whole paradise lost concept not quoting the epic poem by John Milton but paradise lost in terms of Adam and Eve losing paradise and the consequences of that and then the rebirth and renewal that occurs out of them losing paradise and how the the, Paradigm of human identity and the dynamics between humanity and God changes in that. We looked at that kind of as a touchstone or as how the context for other stories are set up. Next, we looked at Noah. In the flood, and then how Noah is actually a literary chiasm from the creation story. So, if you compare Noah's story to the creation story, it's the same story, it's just told in reverse. And so, we get a decreation, and then from the decreation, we get restoration. Noah and his family stepping out from the ark and into a brand new world that has a paradise-like situation and vibe when we break down the scriptures. There, last week, we looked at Egyptian captivity and how the Israelites as a nation, now we have the destruction or the attempted decreation and the attempted genocide of a whole nation and how they're led out of their current enslavement, their current environment, they're led into the wilderness, and then eventually it gives birth to this brand new culture, this brand new way of interacting with humanity and God and then we of course we have the mosaic covenant set up and then it ends with Israel stepping into land and the language is very clear there to remind us of Eden but it is described as you know vineyards you did not plant, towns you did not build, and um olive groves that you did not steward, but they're gonna reap in those benefits. So today we're looking at this on a singular level, one man we're talking about Job. Now there are four, I kind of categorize this into four big questions that Job is asking and it doesn't give us answers to. It does, but it doesn't give us a direct one because again, this is in the tradition of literary or of meditation literature and of wisdom literature. And the whole idea of the meditation literature and the wisdom literature is that we will sit with these stories and they continue to or they continue to live and breathe and force us to ask tough questions that force us to sit think meditate study and then get in relationship with our creator in order to ask them and then unravel the layers as we would with an onion and as we unravel one layer another truth emerges and when we unravel that layer a truth emerges from that etc and that's the whole point of these stories but There are four major questions that I've put down that this, I feel like Job asks, and we don't really get an answer to, and it's forcing us to think about them and pray about them. Um, And these questions are going to kind of be the focal point of the study, but the four questions are, is God just? Does God run the universe on justice? How can suffering be explained? And then does God reward the good and punish the bad and, you know, in that we kind of get, is there some kind of system of karma going on here as the, you know, the popularized Buddhist or um, sorry, not Buddhist, but Hindu philosophy, this idea of a karmic cycle and karmic debt. Um, is that going on here as well? Uh, places, key scriptures that we're going to be in Job, the first chapter. And these are ones you want to read in their entirety. We're going to hit parts and highlights of these, but we're going to start Job, the first chapter, and read all the way through chapter 2, verse 13. That'll be a focal point. Chapters 5 and 6 will give us another focal point. Then we get chapter 40 and chapter 42. All right, so um, starting off, though, we have the very beginning and the first few verses of Job when we're introduced to him. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz named Job. That man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. And we, think we get this description of his household and how many sacrifices he gives. And what 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 we're painting the picture of is this is a man who's in control of his life. This is a man who follows God and God's given him fruitfulness and abundance. That's what we're getting. We're setting the stage for To give us a framework into how this story is told. And the frame is very important because the frame um, is going to set the stage for what happens in the action. And so move with me to verse 6. This ought to sound somewhat familiar if we compare this to the flood story it says 1 6 the divine beings presented themselves before the lord and the adversary came along with them again adversary much like the serpent in the garden of eden but also this scene of the divine beings taking counsel almost in like a courtroom setting very similar to genesis 6 when god is saddened and he he speaks to himself but he says he speaks to them and they said we made man in our image and now man has gone astray. So we're going to, we're sad. So we're going to send a flood to destroy the earth. Right? So this is what uh, Robert Alter would call a type scene. There are various versions of this throughout the Bible. The details are slightly different, but it becomes a motif. This type scene where we have divine beings coming to God, the most high God or God taking counsel with himself to make a decision and set the stage. And so the adversary comes along with them in verse seven, the Lord said to the adversary, where have you been? And the adversary answered to the Lord, I've been roaming all over the earth. And the Lord said to the adversary, have you noticed my servant, Job? There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. The. The. The adversary answered the Lord said, Does Job not have a good reason to fear God? Why is it if you have fenced him around, him and his household and all that he has, you have blessed the effort so that his possessions spread out in the land, but lay your hand upon all that he has, and he will surely blaspheme you to your face. So like God's bragging about his boy Job, and the adversary is like, Yeah, but he hasn't been through everything everything's easy for him how do you know he really trusts you and so later in this scene god basically says all right cool bet right you can touch you can touch job you can go in and meddle in his affairs just don't kill him that's the only that's the only part and he says my boy job is still going to choose me um and that's what happens in chapter two Again, we have this type scene repeated. One day the divine beings prevented them, presented themselves before the Lord, and the adversary came along to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to the adversary, Where have you been? And the adversary answered the Lord, I've been roaming all over the earth. The Lord said to the adversary again, Oh, my bad, I already read this, um, so skip that. No. Sorry, sorry, my notes are a little mixed up, but we we see the language here in chapter two. It looks almost exactly the same as chapter one, and that's meant to to give us the repetition to emphasize what's going on here. Um, so the Lord says to the adversary in two six, um, see, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Um, and the adversary departed from the presence of the Lord and inflicted a severe inflammation on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head um and then in this scene later job's wife just says why don't you curse god and die right right you, you've done nothing wrong and then all of a sudden this this blanks out and so it's getting to this pattern like is this just is this a form of justice um job's wife says like no we've done nothing but good and now this bad stuff happens to you like what's the deal and I think the lesson that God's trying to teach us here, if you if you compare this to all the patterns and all the stuff that happens later in the New Testament, is God's actually trying to communicate that um it's not your deeds that earn the blessings. It's not your deeds that earn your place in the kingdom. It's just the sake that you are a human being on the planet. Right. So his wife asks this question though, like, curse God and die. Like what like what are we doing here? Um, And then it leads us into this question of, does God run the universe on justice? Because if he did, right, this wouldn't be happening to Job right now at this point. But you can also look at what did Job do other than just follow God and do the bare minimum? What did he do to deserve all this stuff? And that's kind of what the adversary there is accusing God of and... Now we've got, we've put Job in a very hard situation. So now we're seeing, you know, the lifespan of a human being in a miniature right here. Good things happen and it's all good. God's good. God's great. Yada, yada, yada. Um, And then all of a sudden now things are bad and everyone around him is starting to be like, well, if things are going poorly for you, you must have done something to anger God and Job's defense is, bro, I have not done anything to anger him. This is not God. This has to be something else. And so we're getting a lesson also in discernment of good and evil. So who can rightly discern good and evil? So we move into chapters five and chapter six, and um, we basically have Job's some things that Job's friends are saying to him and then Job replies in chapter six. And this is most after we get the frame of chapters one and two. This is kind of what how the book is structured. We get these series of conversations of replies. Job's friends speak. Job answers another friend speak. Job answers. Another friend speaks. Job answers. And then at the very, very end of the book, we get God's reply to Job. And then we'll see what happens at the very end. And then we get the other end of the frame with some narrative and not conversation, not dialogue. Um, But it's right now, one of Job's friends is talking to him in chapter 5. Now, something to note is these friends that are speaking to him from a pattern perspective... And from an ancient Near Eastern literary perspective, these friends are spouting off ideas from other ancient Near Eastern philosophies. And so this kind of operates as a philosophical treatise of comparing these other philosophies, these other religions to the religion of Job. Now, Depending on which scholar you read, some people are like Job is the oldest book in the Bible, it actually predates when Genesis was um, written. Other scholars believe no, it was. There's evidence to suggest that no, just because there's no date listed, it actually fits within this other time period, which is later than Genesis. Whatever the case, we know at that time period, these philosophies, as exemplified by his friends or in existence and this is what other people believe who did not follow God the monotheistic God you know Israel being the first monotheistic nation that we are aware of and Job kind of represents monotheism and the man who follows God versus these other people represent these different near eastern philosophies of the day so a little bit of that is going on as his friends are talking to him and then if you study the history out on this a little bit you'll see how these you can take a deep dive into what these philosophies are and what they mean but point being like we can take an archetypal standpoint here and look at he has some well-meaning friends that are trying to give him advice because they want to help they want to make his life better and it's this thing of like even the most well-meaning friends with the most well-meaning advice trying to help you can tell you things that actually hurt you because at the end of the day the one who discerns good and the one discerns bad and the one who is going to give you those answers is God and that's the pattern established here and so we're asking that question here in this section of chapter five we get one of Jonah or Job's friends speaking and and we're asking those questions right if god runs the universal justice why is this happening to you and then if you are suffering like There's a there has to be an explanation. You had to have done something and then God might be punishing you for some reason that you screwed up because like if you did good, he would reward you. So let's listen to what his friend has to say. This is chapter five, verse one. Um, Call now. Will anyone answer you? to whom among the holy beings will you turn vexation kills the fool passion slays the simpleton i myself saw a fool who had stuck roots impulsively i cursed his home may his children be far from success may they be oppressed in the gate with none to deliver them may the hungry devour his harvest carried off in baskets and may the thirsty swallow their wealth evil does not grow out of the soil nor does mischief spring from the ground for man is born to do mischief just as sparks fly upward but i would resort to God. I would lay my case before God who performs great deeds, which cannot be fathom and wondrous things without number. So his friend is basically suggesting like, bro, what did you do? And if you did something like stop hiding from God and going to God is basically what he's saying there. Um, and then we see some of these imagery. Some of the imagery is very similar to what we see in Psalms, right? He says, God who gives rain to the earth and verse since water over the fields, raises the lowly up high so that the dejected are secure in victory and who thwarts the designs of the crafty so that their hands cannot gain success who traps the clever in their own wiles by the plans of the crafty, they go awry and by day they encounter darkness at noon they grope as in the night, but he who saves the needy from the sword of their mouth, from the clutches of the strong, so there is hope for the wretched and the mouth of the wrongdoing is stopped so he's saying like in god there's hope lay your case before god right and then he says how happy is the man whom god reproves do not reject the discipline of the almighty so his friend's suggestion is maybe this is just god's discipline in your life bro but he'll deliver you um and And in verse 27, he says, see, we have inquired into this and it is so, hear it and accept it. And they're saying, we've prayed to God about this and we think this is what's going on. So just accept what we're saying to you, repent and turn back to God. And Job says, God's not doing this to me, fellas. Listen to what he says in chapter six. He's like, God's not doing this to me. You're wrong. I know what it appears to be, but you're wrong. This is something else that's going on here Thank you for your advice but here here's what job says six verse two um if my anguish were weighed my full calamity laid on the scales it would be heavier than the sand and the sea that is why i spoke recklessly for the arrows of the almighty are in me my spirit absorbs their poison god's terrors are erased against me does a wild ass bray when he has grass does a bull bellow over his fodder can what is tasteless be eaten without salt does mallow juice have any flavor i refuse to touch them they are like a f- they are like food when i'm sick Would that my requests were granted, that God gave me what I wished for, would that God consented to crush me, loose his hand, and cut me off, then this would be my consolation. As I writhe in unsparing pains, that I did not suppress the words against the Holy One, what strength have I for that I should endure? How long have I to live that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of a rock? Is my flesh bronze? Truly, I cannot help myself. I have been deprived of resourcefulness. He's saying, yeah, I'm just a man, I'm just a lowly man, and I know God is all-powerful, and I know God can do and say what he wants to do, but he's like, fellas, I'm not being punished by God here, something else is going on. Then he, and he's like, every resource that I have is been taken away from me, and now I'm left in this place where I really just want to Like, I really just want to call God out, but I know this isn't God. This doesn't line up with God's character. And again, this is one of those things that leads us into that relationship piece, relationship with God. He knows this isn't part of God's character because of the relationship he has with him. Similar deal. This is the invitation Adam and Eve get in the Garden of Eden, but they don't know God well and they let the adversary twist god's words and then they eat of something they're not supposed to eat whereas if they would have relied back on the relationship with god it could have been a different result uh job says later in 14 or chapter 6 verse 14 now he's addressing his friends a friend owes loyalty to one who fails though he forsakes the fear of the almighty my comrades are fickle like a wadi like a bed on which streams once ran They are dark with ice. Snow obscures them. But when they thaw, they vanish. In the heat, they disappear where they are. Their course twists and turns. They run into the desert and perish. It's basically like his friends don't want to get close to him because his friends are afraid he's being cursed by God because he did something bad. And so they're giving him this advice, and they're saying, you need to change right now. You need to change. You need to change. And Job's like, there's nothing for me to change. This happened. This happened. Right? And then he says a prayer. Um, Did I say to you, he says to your friends, pay a bribe for me out of your wealth. Deliver me from the clutches of my enemy and redeem me from violent men. Teach me I shall be silent tell me where I'm wrong. How trenchant honest words are, but what sort of reproof comes from you? He's like, I thank you that you're being honest with me, but... There's nothing in here I can gain. This isn't divine wisdom. This is worldly wisdom. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This isn't the tree of life that you're giving me. Do you devise words of reproof? This is 626. But count a hopeless man's words as when? You would even cast lots over an orphan or barter away your friend. Now, be so good as to face me. I will not lie to your face. Relent. Let there not be injustice. Relent. I am still in the right. Is injustice on my tongue? Can my palate not discern evil? And there we have that discernment between good and evil. And he's saying, y'all are accusing me of lying. I'm not lying to you. What reason would I have to rely on you? Again, my discernment, I'm turning to God. And these things go back and forth throughout the book. His friends speak. Job replies, his friends speak, Job replies, and then we get to verse, or chapter 40, 41 also, and then we get God responding to Job, and so his friends are like, the only way suffering can be explained here is that you you effed up, you messed up royally, and God is punishing you, right? Right? If you had done well, God would not be punishing you. And Job is like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm not lying to you. So this idea that like we earn good things from God or we are punished for bad things from God. Job's the living example of this right here. I don't know if that is true is what he's telling his friends. So the Lord finally responds in chapter 40. And he said, he says in 40 verse 2 Shall one who should be disciplined complain against Shaddai? Who arraigns God must, he who arraigns God must respond. Right? And so now Job talks back to God. So we have this series of conversations now between God and Job. Um, and the Lord's basically like, Hey, dude, are you complaining about me? He's like, Now, Check yourself and tell me what's going on. And Job says, See, I'm of small worth. What can I answer you? I clap my hand against my mouth. I've spoken once and will not reply, twice and will do no more. And Job's like, God, you know what's on my heart. You know what the deal is. Like, I've spoken, I've said my piece. What more is there for me to say? And so the Lord replies out of the tempest, so out of the storm, and he says, Guard your loins like a man, I will ask, and you will inform me. Would you impugn my justice? Would you condemn me that you may be right? Have you an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Deck yourself with grandeur and eminence. Close yourself in glory and majesty. Scatter wide your raging anger. See every proud man and bring him low. See every proud man and humble him and bring him down where they stand. Bury them in all the earth. Hide their faces in obscurity. Then, even, I would praise you for... He triumphs your right hand won you right and god's like basically he's like get yourself together i'm gonna ask these things and you need to tell me he's like he's like are you rejecting that i'm just i'm just are you saying that god you're wrong and i'm right would you do that he's kind of testing job here asking him these questions and then verse 15 take now behemoth whom i made as did you he eats grass like the cattle his strength is in his loins Right and so God then gives all these examples of all of the things he has created and he's basically just saying like hey dude like can you do all this stuff no you can't And so in chapter 42 we have Job's reply to God and he says God Right? God's just asking him a series of rhetorical questions to see what Job's final response is going to be. And Job tells him, I know that you can do everything, God, and that nothing you propose is impossible for you. Right? Like even restoring his whole life. Who is this that obscures counsel without knowledge? He's speaking to his friends, right? They're giving him counsel, but they don't have divine knowledge. Indeed, I spoke without understanding of things beyond me, which I did not know. Um, Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask, and you won't for me. I had heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Therefore, I recant and and relent, being but dust and ashes. So Job's like, can you blame me for complaining? And God's like, were your complaints evidence of you not trusting me this is the question he's asking here at the end of the book and Job's like no they weren't but again I'm just a man and I got wrapped up into it forgetting how good you really are but he's like I've been hearing you my whole life now I see you face to face and then the rest of the chapter um will get basically the restoration of job and everything so i'm just going to read it and so we see how this frame happens full circle we start with job is this man who's offering sacrifices to god and he just has abundance everything is taken from him his friends give him some well-meaning but really bad advice job is just miserable and complaining but he doesn't lose faith and then finally he sees god in the midst of this face to face and now everything will be restored, right? We have God appearing in a storm, right? And you can kind of look at that God appearing in the flood, God appearing in opening up the Red Sea and crashing that chaos down upon the Egyptians as they follow the Israelites through the Red Sea, right? Similar patterning going on there. And so let's look at 42 verse 7. After the Lord spoken these words to Job, The Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, one of his friends, I'm incensed at you and your two friends for you have spoken. You have not spoken the truth about me as did my servant Job. Now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice burnt offerings for yourself and let Job, my servant, pray for you. Um, For to him, I will show favor and not treat you vilely since you have not spoken the truth about me as did my servant Job. So God's like, listen here, dudes, right? You used conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom didn't work because all you did was say lies about me and who I really am. You think you understand justice? You think you understand what suffering's about? You think I punish the I punish the bad and reward the good. You know nothing about me, basically. So he's like, go make some sacrifices and get back in relationship with me, please. So verse 10, the Lord restored Job's fortunes when he prayed on behalf of his friends and the Lord gave Job twice what he had before. So now we see Job acting as the priest king motif we have here. Job's sacrifices on behalf of his friends. Then he prays for them. And not only are his friends restored in right relationship, but all of Job's fortunes are restored as well. Uh, Verse 11, all his brothers and sisters and all his former friends came to him and had a meal with him in his house. Oh, he's restored and everybody shows back up again. And they consoled and comforted him for all the misfortune that the Lord had brought upon him. Each gave him one. Quetzal and each one gold ring and thus the Lord blessed the latter years of Job's life more than the former he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses, he also had seven sons and three daughters, the first he named Jemima, the second Cassiah, the third Karen Haput, and nowhere in the land were the women as beautiful as Job's daughters to be found her father gave them estates together with their brothers and afterwards Job lived 140 years to see four generations of sons and grandsons, so job died old and contented and so again we see both the loss right the decreation of everything in job's life even to the point of his relationships and then everything is restored as he continues to rely upon god does he do it perfectly no but that is the whole point and so you can sit there And I I encourage you to go read that whole book and sit with these questions. Is God just? Is God running the universe solely on justice? How can suffering be explained? And then does God reward the good and punish the bad? And this book still leaves us asking these questions. But you see how this pattern works. We have a destruction. We have a bunch of tests and then through that destruction we have someone's faith that is restored comes back stronger and then everything in his life is given back to him but more so and what the culture what the what the authors of this were trying to say is this god who's the main character throughout the whole bible is just so in much more incompre- incomprehensibly good, loving, and powerful than anyone can give him credit for. And so that concludes our unit on destruction and rebirth. Thank you for tuning into the Bible is Lit podcast.